It is my belief that everyone has two personas, the one who we really are and the one we project to the world. Jimmy Hinchman was that second persona from Jimmy Roseman. He built himself up from the bottom. He left his street life alone and created a businessman that we know today as Jimmy Hinchman. He was fierce, he was strong, he was creative, and he was fair. That was the late Michael K. Williams. And you are now listening to season one of Unjust Justice, the James Rosemont story. Previously on Unjust Justice. Crack cocaine that invaded the neighborhood. All of these guys are heavy cocaine dealers. They became a way to make money for young black, poor, uh, uneducated males. And I fall right into that whole mix. Everything that I know better, but this is the only family that I have. And so I get into the coping. We all at certain points have profound events or circumstances that change the path of our lives. These events become defining moments that we can look to, good or bad, where change or hard lessons were learned. The night of November 30th, 1994, was an event in Jimmy's life that would come to haunt him for close to 20 years, and some would argue still to this day. This fall night in New York City found one of hip-hop's rising stars, Tupac Shakur, robbed and shot inside the lobby of Midtown Music Mecca, Quad Studios. Two things resulted from this seminal event in hip-hop music history. Jimmy would become the villain behind the plot to rob and shoot Tupac. And second, some would argue, this event would spin into a far-reaching East Coast versus West Coast feud that would end in the death of Tupac and the notorious B.I.G. Inside Quad Studios that night was a cast of characters who have remained mostly silent. Biggie was there, Puffy was there, Little C's was there, Little Sean, who Tupac was supposed to meet and record with, was there, along with Uptown Records founder, Andre Harrell. The fact that Jimmy still to this day has to talk about this event says everything. I don't know how Quad Studio morphed into, like I was in Vegas and, and was part of the, the shooters that, um, that actually ended in, in his demise. But let me say, me and, me and Tupac were friends. I had nothing against Tupac. I, I liked him, he was younger than me. There's many moments that me and Pac had that were very intimate, where he talked to me about things that he was afraid of or things that he loved to do. Throughout the last 10 years, with the advent of social media, internet gossip outlets, and a career criminal named Dexter Isaac, the drama and beefs from this story still radiate through the hip-hop music industry. In order to get the story of that night, I did two things. I asked Jimmy his version of events, and I was able to find unreleased audio recordings that were done shortly after that night. 
These audio recordings were taped by hip-hop legend Fab Five Freddy, who interviewed Biggie, Puffy, Jimmy, and Randy Stretch Walker, who was with Tupac on that fateful night. Vibe had reached out to some people, um, you know, the people that I knew that were all excited that there was going to be an opportunity for them to express what actually happened. So it was like, you know, Stretch was available. So then it became a situation of just reaching out and scheduling a time to get, you know, to talk to the different people. You know, some I met in person and some I talked to over the phone. You know, I got with Big E, I got with this one, that one, and, you know, Jimmy and stuff like that. It was just chilling to play those tapes for the first time in more than 20 years and listen to the voices of these people that felt like, you know, I mean, come on. You know, it sounds, it feels like they were still with us, you know, and it was sad that they weren't. Although the event was covered extensively by many major media outlets, there have always been conflicting accounts. They ordered them to the floor. Tupac resisted. He was shot numerous times. Twice in the head and twice in the groin area. At least twice in the head, once in the left arm, once in the thigh, once in the groin area. Shortly after the incident, hip-hop legend Fab Five Freddy interviewed many of the key players on their recollections of the events of that night. I had met Tupac like a couple of years ago in 91. When I was kicking it to him, we was working on the Little Sean album. I asked him what he'd like to be on a cut with Little Sean. And he told me, he expressed that he wanted to do the cut with Little Sean. Andre Arell said he thought it was a good idea. I got back with Tupac and told him, yo, um, I'm going to set up some time and we can get it going. So I got it together. This was the same night of the incident. These interviews told a completely different story than the growing narrative and were intended to be a part of a Vibe magazine story. It was a very popular place to record with, you know, multiple rooms to record in. And it just so happens that on that particular night, different people apparently were in different rooms working on their different music projects. This call is from a federal prison. Um, I didn't like the way that... Um, that that Tupac had uh, talked about me in that article, and I asked uh, Fab would he conduct some interviews of the people that were there, um, so that that way, because it, it, he he exaggerates a lot, so at least there'll be some other people that was there that can give a side of the story, because at that point, it was only the stories that that um, that Tupac was given which was all bad because he blamed Biggie, blamed me, blamed um, Puffy. He even said something about Andre Harrell in there. And um, and and when you when you listen to those tapes, I pray that they're good. When you do listen to it, you'll see that it's the same story I've been saying all along. It's just I told Fab the same story that I've been saying that I'm saying 20 years after the fact. For some reason, people don't want it. Want the truth? They, they, it was, and, and I blame the media for this too. These interviews never saw the light of day until now. It went like this, you know what I'm saying? I had a session with the Junior Mafia at Quad, you know what I'm saying? We was upstairs. 
Jimmy was paying Tupac to come in and lay down a verse for the track, a session he personally set up at the request of the record label. Andre and Ralph started getting a little anxious because there he is, the CEO of town. He's in the studio. He's asking me, am I sure that Tupac is coming? I commenced him to pages Tupac. He answered me. I said, yo, money, where you at? You know what I'm saying? You got niggas waiting up here on you. You got Andre around. Tupac arrives two hours late for his session. Biggie recalls his arrival. Little season, you know, and all of them was on a little turf. They got out there, they smoking weed, so they're looking down, they saw Stretch and Pac and all them niggas pull up. So, you know what I'm saying? He's calling niggas, we all family, you know what I'm saying? We all fuck with each other. So he's like, yo, we up here. So niggas greet each other from upstairs to downstairs about some more. We coming in shit, you know what I'm saying? We in the back chilling. Next thing you know, we hearing, yo, Tupac got shot. So boom, I'm on my way downstairs, no gap. See what's up with my man. Everybody holding me back. Get downstairs, Jake got everything on some lockdown shit. Nobody moves. Uh, Jake, immediately, police thought everybody in the studio was on the same floor where everything was supposed to happen at. Right. So they locked everybody down. We just pinned down there for a nice little while. And we just, I saw Pac get out on the stretcher. With Tupac was longtime friend and fellow rapper, Randy Stretch Walker. See Lil Season, I'm up in the window. Lil Season, Junior Mafia, yeah, down with Big and I'm them all. So, um, yeah, we seen them up in the window, and they was like, yo, 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 what's on the phone? You know what I'm saying? We like, yeah, Peeps is up there, so it's all good. We turn up, get around the corner and shit, we see this nigga standing in front of the studio, room with a um, army jacket on. So we go by the nigga, we ring the arm buzzer and shit. They buzz us in. There's somebody sitting inside the door where the elevators and shit is at, and he looking at a newspaper or something. He looking at something. So boom, they buzz us in, and the kid that was standing in back of us, in, in, I mean, in front of the studio, he comes in behind us. Some people get off the elevator and walk out. As soon as they walk out, money with the green jack with the army fatigue and the kid that was sitting there when we first moved, that was sitting on the uh, table inside the door, they spit on us like, yo, y'all know what this is. Boom, boom. Damn, these niggas got the drop on us. So boom, Pop turns around because Pop's strapped. He turns around like he, like he about to go for it, for the joint or whatever. And then the shot went off. Boom, the shot went off. Next thing I know, niggas is down. We down on the ground and shit. After the shot, that nigga Pop hit the floor. Three assailants got away with jewelry, including about $40,000 worth of Shakur's gold chains and a ring. After the two assailants fled the scene, Tupac made his way upstairs to the recording studios. Next thing I know about 12 o'clock, when the elevator opened, it looked like he was in a, a fight. He made so much of a scene that we all looked toward. We all looked toward the elevator door. And then I seen the blood in his head. He was pacing back and forth. Hysterically, talk about call the police, call the police. Then he turned around and looked at me and said, Yo, you're the only one who knew that I, I was coming. You must have set me up. And um, 
Jimmy refutes. It was a little extraordinary that so much people were stopping by, you know? So when people would come by, they'd be like, yo, who's working there? And people would say, well, Tupac and Sean. So the word definitely got out that Tupac was on his way. Tupac was always very vocal with his version of what happened that night. Well, tell me what happened at the recording studios in Times Square. I got shot five times. I walked in, some dudes walked in and shot me up. But almost everyone there tells a conflicting story. They differ on who shot Tupac and how many times he was shot. Stretch never left Tupac's side. Tupac got shot trying to go for his shit, you know what I'm saying? Jimmy recalls talking to Stretch and another witness later that night. Tupac embellished the story like he did. Nobody seen shit. The fourth issue when they came back with a reply, everybody knew what I did. They knew what I said. I was acting. Who gets shot five times and acts? Oh, I didn't get shot five times in their vision. I only got shot once because they found the bullet. Tupac is he's amazing when it comes down to the press, man. In November of 1993, Shakur and two other men were charged with sodomy and sex abuse, as well as weapons charges. Rap star Tupac Shakur is in a hospital recovering from serious gunshot wounds as a New York jury deliberates his fate regarding sexual abuse charges. I kind of felt maybe this was a strategy for him to, to, to parlay, to get around the case, and maybe I shouldn't hold him accountable for trying that strategy. In a bizarre twist of events, rap singer Tupac Shakur checked himself out of Bellevue Hospital late Wednesday night after the 23-year-old was shot five times early that same morning. The motive for that incident may also be lost. Many of the players have passed on and no one has ever been prosecuted. 
I believe that this was a robbery. Anybody who was going to walk into that building was going to be robbed. I had a conversation with Stretch. told me how Tupac was feeling that the whole thing was geared toward him because of some other Brooklyn cat that he said some things about in the newspaper. Was it just a robbery gone bad? Or was this some form of street discipline? All I do is make rap. All I do is rap and talk loud. My biggest crime is talking loud. We may never know, but what is clear is that after the shooting, Tupac became more antagonistic, and his relationship with East Coast rappers had forever changed. Studying out party and bullshit was me before I met Biggie. You don't hear my style in this rap. Studying out after I met Biggie, ready to die, come out, his whole style changed. Study. Study why I would be mad. I don't know what was going on in the nigga head, just confused more than anything, you know what I'm saying? You get shot and then you go to jail, something you need to do, that's a twist to make a mind up. If you're gonna act like you're a gangster or a G or the king of New York, I'm expect that. And when you don't come through, then I'm gonna crush your empire. If you really wanna shit on a nigga, shit on the right nigga, don't shit on your man. That's my man, he always gonna be my man. Half of the major New York rappers, or they managers, or they agents, or they somebody was there when I got shot. And nobody could give me no information. I didn't think who died too during that whole thing. That nigga was stomping him, they was pistol whipping him, it was personal. And that's why Tupac felt it was a setup because they didn't stomp on Stretch, they didn't stomp on Fred, they didn't do anything to anyone else except Tupac. History remembers the Quad Studio shooting as the catalyst of the East Coast, West Coast rap war. The rumors that's spreading is on some tip like we set them up. Overthrow the government y'all got right now, which is Bad Boy and Nas and all that bullshit. Straight up Brooklyn in the house! Let's call it from a federal prison. Everybody in the industry, nobody came on Bellamy to say that, yo, you set me up. What started as rumors and allegations became urban legend when Tupac berated Jimmy in Against All Odds. Mentions a whole bunch of people's names in that record. And if you knew Pac, you knew why he mentioned street guys in the record. It's only because that was the kind of attention he wanted toward that record. What Jimmy was talking about was Tupac's verse on the song Against All Odds, released in 1996. The lyrics are as follows. Promise to pay back to me, henchmen. In due time, I know you bitch niggas is listening. The world is mine. Set me up, wet me up. Niggas stuck me up. Heard the guns bust. But you tricks never shut me up. Touch one of mine. You know, in his death, it turned into a whole other kind of animal. Tupac assault ended up becoming what Kennedy's assassination was in Dallas. The rumors and speculation of Jimmy's involvement persisted for years. The crazy thing about that whole thing is me and this guy never had no problem. We've never had an argument outside of him feeling like, hey man, can you tell me how these guys knew that I was coming to the studio? Why wouldn't you fact check what this guy is saying? He's a rapper. He exaggerates. He's looking to sensationalize. He got one of the biggest dummies that was his boss that was co-signing some of the stupid stuff he was doing. Shook. So how are y'all believing this stuff? Him saying that he fucked face was a lie. 
but y'all are running with that, and, and, and it's really the, the the media that that really made this thing bad. It really yeah. caused these dudes to die the way they they end up dying, especially Biggie, who had nothing to do with nothing. But see, what Pac didn't realize that this is real life stuff that's going on with you rhyming this stuff and blaming people. You're really jeopardizing people's lives, like. He thought it was all fun and games. It, like the last conversation I had with him, I was like, why are you saying that it, it's Puffy and Biggie and you blaming me? Like, why are you doing that, man? He started laughing, man. It was an uncomfortable laugh, but he laughed. And he was like, yo, man, you know how this shit is, man? You know how this trap shit is, man? Come on, Jimmy, man. Regardless of Tupac's intentions, the song became his epitaph. Forever pointing blame. At Jimmy. I remember having a conversation with Biggie, with Nas, um, with Jay-Z, and any other East Coast rapper that I would run in, and I would tell them straight up and down. I said, listen, man, y'all going on the West Coast, man, be careful. And them dudes is looking to make an example out of somebody. So just be careful when y'all go out there. And so because of that, I used to have to, I used to have to carry. Not, not on no, no, of a reason, but the only reason was for protection, and that was all Tupac's doing, man. It wasn't, it wasn't, you know, I wasn't gangbanging, of course, you know, I wasn't out there to start no trouble, but it was the environment that Pac sold to these guys that all of us East Coast guys conspired against him to do this and that to him. And nobody ain't doing him nothing, man. He did that to himself, man. And you, and obviously, if you can hear uh, Stretch tell Fab that Tupac shot himself, do you think that changes it? But it it really doesn't because it, you know the story goes on to continue. But maybe if people hear that, this will finally be put to rest. Let me tell you something else. There's two people who got shot that night. When Tupac shot himself, it went through his leg. And stretching all of them was laying on the floor. There was a guy named Fred, who was really his road manager. He also caught a graze that night, off of that one shot. The only reason Fred never came um, came out front and, and talked about it, because Fred is a street guy. He's, right now, he's in Queens. He's a street guy. It sounds crazy coming from me, because it's like, how you know? Because I was a street guy. So I know what happened. You you know what I'm saying? But however, yeah. it's different when I wasn't in the hallway when it happened. However, Stretch was. And so it's different with Stretch saying whatever than me saying whatever. And for the first time, people are going to get to hear Stretch. And people are get to hear even Biggie. I forgot that he interviewed Biggie. I forgot all about that. I forgot that he interviewed Andre Harrell. Because these are the people he was mentioning in the article. So I was like, yo, fat, please interview these people, man. So people can get a whole other idea of what happened that night. Three names have always been connected to the shooting of Tupac at Quad Studios as it pertains to Jimmy. Those names are Walter Tut Johnson, Haitian Jack, and Dexter Isaac. They all are legendary criminal figures from the 80s and 90s who found their way into hip-hop history 
still to this day. Dexter is a, a childhood friend of mine from East Flatbush. And when he, he had moved out of Flatbush and moved to Bed-Stuy, Crown Heights, Bed-Stuy kind of area, and we were cordial, but we weren't friends after that. I, and I guess he either knew the guys who ended up robbing um, Tupac or he was a part of it, um, I would assume. Here is an archival clip of a TV show I produced called Who Shot Biggie and Tupac on Fox. Here, Soledad O'Brien and Ice-T are interviewing Haitian Jack about Quad Studios. Guys like Haitian Jack, just stick-up guys. Nothing good comes from that. The cops told us that you were a stick-up guy. Yeah, that's me. That's what I do. Who was the person who called for the hit on Tupac at Quad Studios? I don't know. Yes, you do. Here we go. Jack, there's a reason that you're not sitting here with us in the United States. What did the feds get you on? I shot somebody in L.A. in a club on Melrose. Yeah, that'll do it. You know there are lots of people who think you're the person who called for the hit on Tupac at Quad Studios. Absolutely not. I had told everyone not to do anything to Pac. What did Tupac say in the Daily News about you that kind of started everything going bad between you? Yeah, well, he called me a hang-on. The funny thing about it, when Pac comes to New York, I'm the first person he calls and hangs on to me. So you were offended when he called you a hanger-oner in the Daily News? Yeah, I was offended, but I didn't think what he said warrants him to be hurt. Wow. Could it have been somebody who felt that you were disrespected that moved independently? Yeah. A lot of people listened and said, look, Jack said, leave it alone. And they left it alone, but there's always one in the crowd that has something to prove. The person at the time, we were real cool, and he felt like Tupac had no right to say what he said about me, especially in New York City. And they wanted the discipline. Wait, what? I got the call within 30 seconds after it happened. Lisa, listen, man, I, I got it, homie. And it went all bad. I said, I said, wrong number and hung up. So someone called you up. I assume you know who it was because you answered. And they said that the job went bad. They said, they said, I got that dude. Remember, I told everybody not to get at him. Somebody got at him. They got at him. Who was the person who called you to tell you? I don't know. Yes, you do. That's, that's, that's snitching, so that. I see from the street. He knows I can't answer that question. I don't. I, I understand. I understand. Yeah. I think he said as much as he feels comfortable saying in this direction. This turn of events in hip hop is fascinating for a number of reasons. It was no secret that Haitian Jack and his various friends were very dangerous and the gangsters of the fledgling hip hop music industry. Tupac was grouping Biggie. Puffy, and Jimmy Henchman into this cabal. Both Puffy and Biggie had warned Tupac on a number of occasions to stay away from Haitian Jack. He 
He was known to rob drug dealers, kidnap family members, and tie up people who could lead him to score drugs and money. These early events are not to be taken lightly. This cesspool of New York City gangsters with tentacles inside the hip-hop business shaped the narrative that ultimately ended in the death of two of its biggest stars, Biggie and Pac. On the next Unjust Justice. It was, um, you know, he was set, Tupac didn't know it, but he was setting the stage now for the East Coast-West Coast Wars 